This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. So we've been walking through Ephesians over the past few months, and so we've come to chapter 5, and so we're going to talk today about how the Spirit transforms relationships. We're going to look at chapter 5 and verse 15, all the way through chapter 6 and verse 9. And I think you'll see how this whole text really kind of fits together, and and how when we are filled with the Spirit of God, that it, it changes us as, as we sung earlier, and it, and it changes the way that we relate to people, and therefore it, it changes relationships in our lives, whether those are relationships at, at, at home or at, at work or, or wherever, wherever we are. And so we see some things here about uh, marriage, we see some things here about uh, parenting, Um, We see some things about the workplace, but I want you to know if you're not in in any of those categories, you're still going to see principles here that will apply to you because really the Spirit transforms any relationship because the Spirit transforms us in the way that we relate to, to people. And so let's look at God's Word beginning with Ephesians 5 and verse 15 and we'll read through chapter 6 and verse 9 and follow along in your copy of, of God's Word. By the way, in, uh, on the back of your bulletin uh, now, uh, there are some, there, my outline is there. If you want to fill in blanks or take notes as you go along and kind of keep this um, as you refer back to the passage, then, then you can, can do that. Let's look at God's Word beginning at chapter Ephesians 5 and verse 15. The Apostle Paul says, Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two 
will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling, and the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them, because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Father, we thank you for the scripture that, if applied, is just utterly transforming in the way that we relate to other people. We pray that your spirit would fill us. We pray that your spirit would humble us so that we will walk with others in, in Christ-like humility, putting others above ourselves, seeking the interest of others before our own, And as we walk like this, whether it's in marriage or in parent-child relationships or in the workplace or wherever we are, as we we live this way, as as we live spirit-filled, servant-oriented lives of humility, the the effect is transforming on, on those around us. And so, Lord, would you do a work in us now that you would do a work through us as we relate to others. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I remember uh, so well my, my uh, driver's ed class because the, the lady who taught driver's ed at our school was kind of notorious and really kind of kind of tough and you know she had her own break over there on her on the passenger side <laughs> in case things got out of got out of control uh, but you know it's kind of good if you have a tough driver's ed teacher when you consider what the stakes are when you get out on the road but you know what learning to drive is a whole lot easier than navigating the relationship the complexities of a lot of the relationships in our lives, whether it's the, re, relating to one another in marriage or uh, re, the complexities of, of parenting or relating to different uh, personalities in, in the workplace or just in, in, in life in general. Well, fortunately, we don't have to do that alone because we have a helper. <laughs> the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and God has given us principles And if we'll apply these with a spirit-filled life, it's utterly transforming to the relationships in our lives. So Paul's going to talk here about 
being filled with the Spirit and how that impacts relationships. But first, he talks about walking in wisdom. And that's the first thing that we see here in verses 15 through 17 of chapter 5. A wise walk. We're called to a wise walk as believers. So let's look at verse 15. The Bible says, Pay careful attention then to how you walk. Now, as we talked about before in Ephesians, your walk is your conduct. It's, it's just the way that you live. And the Bible says here that, that we're to, to pay careful attention as believers to how we walk, to how we live. As, as followers of Christ, we're called to, to glorify God in the way that we walk. We can't afford to just sort of drift aimlessly through life. We're to, we're to, to walk carefully. Pay, pay careful attention then to how you walk, to, to how you live. And then he says, not as unwise people, but as wise. We're called to walk wisely. God has given us a whole book of Scripture about wisdom for living, the book of Proverbs you may want to, want to go back. We did a series on Proverbs uh, a few years ago. You can go back on the website and, and check it out if you, if you weren't here, if you wanted to review it. But it, th- that series was called The Way of Wisdom because Proverbs is just filled with, with, with wisdom about how to walk wisely. But not only the book of Proverbs, really the whole of God's Word. And, and so if you want to walk wisely, then that means you you walk according to biblical principles. And what that means is that you know biblical principles. It means that you're you're immersing yourself in the Word of God and and growing in your knowledge of the truth so that you can apply that and, 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 and walk wisely in your life. Look at verse 16. He says, we're to be making the most of the time because the days are evil. You know, we we get one brief life to walk wisely or to walk foolishly. We get one brief life to make a difference in this world or to be sucked into the ways of this world. And when we think about life today, we're we're called here in verse 16 to to make the most of the time. There are so many things in our culture that can just fritter away our time. And so if we're going to pay careful attention to how we walk, if we're going to live wisely and not unwisely, And if we're to make the most of our time, then that means we need to carefully evaluate the things that fritter away our time. And especially in our world today, pay careful attention to your screen time. Whether that's the screen of your your phone, or the the screen of your, your laptop, or the screen of your TV. Because if we don't carefully monitor these things. You know, things like how how much streaming 
we're, we're doing or how much time we're spending on social media. It's okay to use those things, but they've got to be carefully, carefully monitored. You've got to take serious stock of how much time you spend on those things because if you don't evaluate it carefully, then it just it, it quickly becomes addictive and out of control and and, and we, end up, we end up wasting precious time that could be used in, in, in ways that would be far, far more productive for the Lord and for loved ones in our lives. So pay, pay careful attention to your, your time. He says here in, in verse 16, we're to be making the most of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Life is too short. <laughs> And these days are too evil not to walk carefully and to carefully monitor the way that we're, we're using our time. Verse 17, he says, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, when we think about discerning God's will, a lot of times we think about decisions that we need to, to make and that kind of thing, and certainly God God helps us and God gives guidance on those things. But, but probably here what Paul's talking about when he talks about God's will is God's revealed will. In other words, the things that God has already told us about. The things that God has already revealed to us in the Scripture. That's God's revealed will. And so when it comes to God's revealed will, then, like, <laughs> it's just a matter of doing it, right? There's no, there's no like, if, if, you're, if you're doing something that's not in line with the Bible, that means you're out of line. And, 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 and I don't care if you say, well, you know, I've, I've just got a good feeling about it, you know, or I really thought about it, or I really prayed about it. I don't care what it is. If you're doing something that's not in line with the Bible, God's will that he's already revealed to you, if it's not in line with this book, it's out of line, right? God's will is never going to contradict God's word. And, and, and so Paul here is, is talking about the revealed will of God, right? We're, we're, to, we're to walk according to that, to biblical principles that he has already revealed. So again, a key to that is immersing yourself in God's word, right? Knowing the scripture so that you can walk according to his will. So he talks here in verses 15 through 17 about a wise walk. And then from chapter 5 and verse 18 through chapter 6 and verse 9, he's talking about a spirit-filled walk. A spirit-filled walk. It begins in verse 18. He says, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. So, in the Gentile world of the first century, the Greco-Roman Gentile world of the first century, which is the, the culture that most of the people that Paul was writing to were, were coming out of. In that culture, binge drinking was just a huge thing, huge problem. 
not so much in Jewish life. Uh, Jewish people, uh, they certainly uh, drank wine, but it was not, uh, uh, abusing alcohol was really frowned upon in Jewish culture. But in Gentile culture, um, it, was, it was a huge problem, and drunkenness, binge drinking, was, was especially uh, epidemic. And so Paul is, is saying here, instead of doing what the people around you are doing, getting drunk, and being under the control and the influence of alcohol, you as followers of Christ are to be under the control and the influence of the Holy Spirit. Be filled by the Spirit. Now, every believer has the Holy Spirit. Every believer is baptized with the Holy Spirit when we come to Christ. But the filling of the Spirit is something that is to happen repeatedly throughout the course of our Christian lives. The command in verse 18 is in the present tense. Be filled with the Spirit. That the present tense is the, the tense of continuous action. In other words, the sense is keep on being filled with the Spirit. Continuously throughout your Christian life. So, how does that happen? Well, ask God. Ask God to fill you with the Spirit. Pray for the filling of the Spirit. Make that a regular part of your, your prayer life. Hum, humble yourself before God and acknowledge, I cannot live the Christian life on my own and on my own strength. Lord, I desperately need your power. I need your power for living. I need the filling of the Holy Spirit. I can't do this. God delights in humble prayers like that. And so ask God to fill you. And then stay in God's word. We're going to see next week in chapter 6 that the, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. And so God's spirit works to fill you through his word. So stay in the word and obey the word. The spirit fills you as you obey what you're learning in God's word. And then stay close to spirit-filled believers. Have brothers and sisters that are in your life that are on fire for Christ and that can help you grow and spend time with them and, and talk with them. So what do we see there? And we talk about asking God, we talk about staying in the word, we talk about being around other believers, right? That's prayer, that's the Bible, that's church. Be filled by the Spirit. Now, in verses 19 through 21, we see the results of being filled with the Spirit. Let's look at 19 through 21. He says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So there are five participles here in these verses that, that are, are showing us 
the results, what it looks like when we're filled with the Spirit. Now, the first three uh, participles go together. Uh, Speaking, singing, making music. That's verse 19. So speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. This is a beautiful picture of corporate worship. And it tells us a couple of things about corporate worship, about gathering together with other believers in a setting like this. First of all, it's importance. Listen, we, we, cannot, we cannot really obey verse 19 if we're not connected to a local body of believers where we're worshiping with other people. This is a picture of of believers worshiping together corporately. Listen, the New Testament knows nothing of sort of lone ranger Christians that are not connected to a local church. The New Testament is written to churches, assemblies of believers like this one. When, when this letter was, was, was read, it was read to a church that was gathered together, that was assembled together. The, the idea that, you know, of following Christ and, and not being connected to a local body of believers is just a concept that is foreign to the New Testament. And, and listen, we've got to be together <laughs> To, to, to do what he's talking about here in, in verse 19. It's a picture of people, of, of a gathered congregation singing together. And, and, you know, technology has provided, and especially over the past year and a half, it, it's been a huge blessing to, to be able to have the technology so that we can stream services and do videos and, and things like that. And that's great. Those are really useful tools But that is no substitute for gathering together physically with other believers. You you cannot do verse 19 if you're sitting, you know, alone in your pajamas, you know, eating pancakes or something. Like this is a picture of, of believers worshiping together, praising God together, right? And so we see something here in verse 19 about the importance of corporate worship but also the responsibility that we all have in corporate worship. He says we're to be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. Now, when we think about the responsibility, and particularly as we, as we praise God together, there's obviously a vertical dimension to that, right? Because as we praise We are singing to the Lord. We're giving him our praise. And so there's a responsibility to do that. And there's a responsibility even in the way that we sing, right? It doesn't matter necessarily what the quality of your singing voice is, but what does he talk about here in verse 19? Your heart. Singing with all your heart to the Lord because he is worthy. He is a great and sovereign God. 
who has given his son, who bled and died for you and rescued you and has redeemed you. Is that kind of a God not worthy of your praise? Oh, brothers and sisters, we should praise him. Praise him with all of our hearts, sing to him like you mean it, right? So that's the vertical dimension of, of praise. But listen, there's a horizontal responsibility here as well that he talks about in verse 19. He not only says that we're singing to the Lord, but what? He says that we're speaking to one another as we do this. In other words, as you sing, you are speaking to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, it does all of us good not only to sing, but to, to, as, we, as we hear one another, right? As, as together we sing, and we're singing songs that are scriptural, based on scripture, we're instructing one another. We're speaking to one another and encouraging one another as we, as we lift our voices together. So that there's not only a vertical responsibility, there's a horizontal responsibility in in, in, in worship. So, a spirit-filled believer is, is, understands that, the importance of corporate worship, that responsibility in corporate worship. So, that's kind of the first three uh, participles here. Speaking, singing, making music. The fourth one is in verse 20, and that's giving thanks. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father and the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you've got a grumbling spirit or a murmuring spirit or an ungrateful spirit, then friend, that's not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> because when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we've got grateful hearts. We're giving thanks. And then the fifth participle here is that we're submitting. Verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. This means that we humble ourselves before one another in relationships. It means we humble ourselves and we put other people before ourselves. We put their interests above our own. It means living like Romans 12.10, which says, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Now let's go back here to, to, to verse 21 again. He says that, that, that a result of being filled with the Spirit is that we as believers are submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Now notice verse 21 is written to the entire church. There's a lot said about verses 22 through 24 about wives submitting to husbands. And we're talking about that in a moment. <laughs> but verse 21 is written to the entire church. If you are a follower of Christ, you are to be a submissive person, a person who is humbling yourself and seeking to put others above yourself. That's part of what it means to follow Jesus. That's part of the result of being filled with the Spirit. Now, what happens 
from 5.22 all the way through 6.9 is that Paul is fleshing out what this looks like in different relationships in our lives. And he starts in verse 22 with the husband-wife relationship. What does this look like? What does it look like when husbands and wives are, are filled with the Spirit? And how does the Spirit transform that relationship by transforming us? He begins in verses 22 through 24, talking to wives. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Tony Morita says this, while many struggle with the idea of submitting, we have already uh, noted that the whole Christian life is about submission. Remember, the wife is called to submit to a husband who is willing to die for her. The husband should be the first to apologize, forgive, and serve. And so, while the husband is called to a leadership role in the home, it is very much a servant leadership. And not only a servant leadership, but a sacrificial leadership. What does he say to husbands in verse 25? Husbands, love your wives, how? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. First of all, what a, what a view of the church here, right? We're talking about the importance of the church Christ loved the church so much that he died for the church. And listen, if we love Jesus, then that means we love what Jesus loves. Jesus loves his church. He laid down his life for his church. And husbands, we are commanded to love our wives that way. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Again, Tony Marita speaks wisely on this. Men, marriage is a call to die. Dying to self may involve sacrificing your schedule and even good ambitions. It means giving yourself away for the good of your bride. It involves crucifying your flesh and resolving to be faithful to your bride, not yielding to the temptations of lust, anger, and pride. John Piper adds this, woe to the husband who thinks his maleness requires of him a domineering, demanding attitude toward his wife. If you want to be a Christian husband, you become a servant, not a boss. Look at verses 26 and 27. He says, to make her holy cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Husbands, this means that we should care about the spiritual growth of our wives. 
take the initiative to say, let's pray together. You know, take the initiative to, to talk about the Bible, to, to talk about the things of God with your wife. Take care of the, the kids sometimes so that you know, she can go to a, a Bible study or go to something that's going to bless and nourish her, her soul. It means we, we, we care about the spiritual growth of our wives. Husbands, ask yourself, is my wife more like Christ because of me or in spite of me? Look at verses 28 through 30. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. Husbands and wives, because the two of you have become one flesh, what that means is that when you act selfishly toward your spouse, then, then really you're, you're acting against your, your, own, your own joy because you've become one flesh. Again, John Piper, very, very wise on this. Husbands and wives recognize that in marriage you have become one flesh. If you live for your private pleasure at the expense of your spouse, you are living against yourself and destroying your joy. But if you devote yourself with all your heart to the holy joy of your spouse, you will be living for your own joy and making a marriage after the image of Christ and his church. And that leads us to the, the stunning way that Paul concludes this section on marriage in verses 31 through 33. He says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. In other words, as a Christian husband and wife, as each of you is filled with the Spirit, and each of you is seeking to put your spouse first, as, as each of you is, is, is humbling yourself and seeking to put the other above yourself, seeking to serve the other, that's a recipe for a really happy marriage, but it's also a picture of what? It's a picture of how we have been loved in the gospel. It's a picture of how Christ loves his church because he gave himself for the church. You know, one of the blessings of our church, of, of being a part of a, a, a church like this that's multi-generational, is that we get to see some couples here who have done this for 50 60, sometimes 70 years or more who have, who have lived this out, who have 
who have loved one another and sought to serve one another and work through the hard times together in their marriage together and made it through to the other side. That's an incredible blessing. And so, listen, I would just encourage you, uh, younger couples, when you feel stuck sometimes and you feel like you need somebody else to help you get unstuck, there are plenty of people here who can help. There are plenty of people here who have walked that way before you. It's just one of the huge blessings of a, of a church family like this. And so he, he talks about the difference the Spirit makes in the husband-wife relationship. And then, in chapter 6, and verses 1 through 4, in the parent and parent-child relationships. So first of all, he speaks to kids in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. So, first of all, as I said, when these letters were, were read originally, they were read to the church that was, they, that was gathered together and worship. And so kids would have been sitting there. That's one of the reasons that our church, we, we kind of like for, for, for kids, once they get to the age where you can, you can, you're, you're in school, is to sit in church because we believe you can listen and you can learn. And, and so kids would have been sitting there and, and hearing this letter read, and so this section was for them. And, and, if, and if you're here and you're still in, in your parents' home and you're under their authority, you're living with your parents, then, then, then this is directly for you. What does he say? He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. And so kids, if you're still in the home, when it says obey your parents in the Lord, what that means is that one of the ways that you obey the Lord at this stage of your life is obeying your mom and dad. And not only obeying them, but honoring them. What does he say in verse 2? Honor your father and mother. That means that we're not only to obey them, but we're to obey them with the right spirit. Not pouting, you know, or any of that, but like obeying joyfully and promptly because, listen, if you're blessed with Christian parents, you've just got one of the greatest blessings in life. Your parents love you and, and they've got your best interest at heart. And you might not always understand your parents. And you might not always understand the, the things that they want you to do or the things that they say no to. But they love you. You know, in uh, NASCAR racing, they're, they're the drivers that are down on the track, that are making their way around the track. But then, way up high, there are these uh, guys called spotters. And the spotters are way up so they can look down on the track and they can see like the big picture of, of what's going on. So they're in communication with the driver and the spotters are telling them when it's okay to pass. It's telling them when maybe there's a wreck up ahead that they need to know about. 
And kids, if you're in the home, your parents kind of play that, that role in your lives because they have life experience that you don't have. And they can see things that you can't see. And, and so, listen to them. Obey them. Honor them. They love you. And as you do that, what you're doing is you're also obeying God. And by the way, the call to honor our parents is not something that we're ever released from. When we're not under their, when we're not living at home anymore, right? We're, we're not, you know, we're not directly under their authority, right? So we've, you know, we've, we're, we're, we've got our own lives as adults. But the call to honor your parents is something that, that, that goes on. And what that means is that when your parents are, are old, that means caring for them, that means calling them, that means continuing to see them and be a part of their lives. And a lot of times that doesn't happen in our world today, and it, and it needs to happen in the lives of believers. Now, there's also a promise attached to this in verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Now, is this a blanket guarantee of how, how many years you're going to live? No. Here's what it means. It means that if you will obey and honor your parents, it means your life's going to be a whole lot better <laughs> and a whole lot happier, right? Because you don't have to make a lot of painful mistakes that you would make if you were on your own. And there's also something else that we need to pay attention to here. We're talking about the blessing of Christian families, but a lot of kids are growing up today without the blessing of a Christian family or any family. And what that means is that as followers of Christ, it means that to the degree that we can, that we come alongside. We come alongside. In the church family, or whether we're coaching or volunteering, or whatever we're doing, and seeking to come alongside in, 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 in love and try to fill in some gaps in, in the lives of some kids who, who aren't blessed with a loving Christian family. All right, so parents. He turns his attention to, to us as, as, as parents here in verse 4. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So he says, don't stir up <laughs> anger, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I love that phrase, bring, bring them up. In the original, it's such a, it's an affectionate word. It's a nurturing word. Uh, John Calvin translated this, uh, let them be fondly cherished. Love that. Laugh with them. <laughs> be affectionate. Laugh, love. Well, a Christian home should be filled with, with, with affection uh, and, 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 and laughter. Um, and so it's, that's bring them up, but we don't want to parent in such a way that we, that we stir up anger. Now, the, the parallel text to Ephesians 6.4 is Colossians 3.21, which says this, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. So when you put those two together, 
We don't, what we don't want to do is parent in such a way that we just we stir up uh, anger. Now, sometimes they might be angry with you temporarily for doing the right thing. <laughs> Understand that, okay? But, but we don't want to do things that are wrong in parenting, uh, that just produce kids that are angry and, dis- and just discouraged. They've, they've lost heart. What are some things that, that parents can do that kind of lead to angry, discouraged kids? Again, uh, Tony Marita gives us some great, great things here. I'm having trouble with my eyes because of allergies this morning, so I'm not, I'm not seeing the screen too well back there, so I'll, I'll look up here. Okay, one would be failing to take into account that they are kids, comparing them to others, disciplining them inconsistently, failing to express approval, failing to express love, disciplining them for reasons other than willful disobedience and defiance, pressuring them to pursue our goals, not theirs, withdrawing love from them or overprotecting them. These, these things are just not going to to, to get us where we want to go um, with, with parenting. So we, we, we don't want to do parent like that, but what do we want to do? Again, let's look at verse 4. He says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. First of all, training, which can also be translated as discipline. And the word really means training, training, that sometimes includes discipline. <laughs> Parents, you are doing your kids no favor when you fail to discipline. That just brings harm to them. Like, they, 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 have, to have, tra- they have to have training. They have to have discipline. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's painful to see situations where kids are just sort of disrespecting parents and and speaking to parents uh and 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 just like it's it just it just goes on and there's there's no there's no correction there like if i'd have talked to my mom or dad that way <laughs> or my kids have talked to me or melissa that way are you kidding like there, like you've, it's gotta be there has to be correction there has to be like positive training I mean, they're just things that they are not going to learn on their own. And that, that means not only respecting you. Because if they don't learn to respect you in the home, right? If they can just kind of be disrespectful or just willfully disobedient with, with, with mom and dad, then how, how in the world, what are they going to be like when, with other adults and out there in life? Right? There's got to be discipline. There's got to be training, you know, not only the sense of what you don't do, but what, what do you do, right? How do you speak, right? What, I mean, listen, parents, if you will train your kids to look adults in the eye when they talk to them, to say, please and thank you habitually, always, sir and ma'am, they are going to stand out. They will stand out and it, it, it will bless them for the rest of their 
lives. So there's, there's training or discipline, training that sometimes includes discipline, uh, and there's instruction. Instruction. Um, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 7. The Bible says there of God's word, and, it, and it's talking to parents here, speaking of God's commands, repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, as a way of life. As a way of life. And moms and dads, listen, your life, your example is going to speak louder than any words that you can ever say. Because if you're not living it, then whatever you try to tell them about God or God's word is going to ring hollow. So you got to be living it first, setting the example, but then talk about it. Talk about God's word. Just make it just a habit of your life. And yeah, there are some good things that you can do that are more structured. If you go to our Facebook page, our, 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 our church's Facebook page, you can see there. I did a video a while back about just a brief nine or ten minute video about um, just kind of how as a family you can have uh, sort of a devotional time together and, and, and you know that, that's a good practice to have but beyond that it's to be a way of life Deuteronomy 6 7 is a way of life so that it's just natural as you go throughout life to be talking about the things of God with your kids I love what what Danny Aiken says about this have fun and talk about Jesus a lot that's a great recipe for a family. Have fun and talk about Jesus a lot. Okay, the third arena of relationships here is, is in the, the workplace. Now, in verses 5 through 9, he's, he's addressing slaves and masters. Because in the first century, uh, slavery was a huge thing. In the Roman world, there were probably like 60 million slaves. Um, now, when we think about slavery as Americans, our minds immediately connect that to American slavery prior to the Civil War. This was very different. American slavery prior to the Civil War was race-based, Slavery in the Roman world had nothing to do with race. It was not racial at all. It was, um, a lot of times it was related to indebtedness. Um, sometimes slaves were people that had been captured in war or whatever, but it, it was not, not race-based. And usually it was, it was temporary. Mo most slaves in the Greco-Roman world um, uh, earned their, their freedom. It was rare for someone to be born a slave and die a slave. Um, and so it was very different. Slaves in, in the Greco-Roman world a lot of times were highly educated. Slaves could hold positions like teachers or bankers or, you know, factory managers or whatever. A lot of times those people were actually slaves that were in the process of earning their freedom. So what I'm telling you is that slavery looked a lot different in that culture than what it looked like in our country prior to the Civil War. Did, did, that, does that make, did that make it okay in the first century world? Absolutely not. It wasn't okay then at all. The Bible says, love your neighbor, not own your neighbor. 
And, and it's really clear when you read Paul's writings, he was no fan of slavery in the first century. Um, in 1 Timothy 1.10, Paul puts slave traders in the same list as murderers and people who kill their parents and liars and, and, and on and on and on. It's really clear. He's no, he's no fan of the practice. But, but it was just, it was reality in the Greco-Roman world. And, and in a city like Ephesus, at least a third of the population, maybe more, would have been enslaved. So there were, there were slaves that were in the church. There were those who owned slaves that were in the church. But what, but what we see here in, in these verses are some principles that apply to us today in that all of us have had the experience of, of working. Sometimes in the workplace, we are in positions where we're, under, we're working under authority. Sometimes we're in positions where we're working in authority. Sometimes it's a combination of both. And, and this passage gives us some incredible principles that will help with that, whether we're under authority or in authority. So what do we see here? Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling and the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. So how does this apply to us? In the workplace, if you are under authority, what this means is that the work that you do should stand out. Now listen, we've talked about standing out for Christ. By living holy lives, yes. By speaking up about Jesus, yes. Absolutely. But if you're in the workplace, one of the ways that you should stand out as a follower of Christ is in the excellence of your work and the attitude that you have in doing your work. Because that, that, that gains credibility with your co-workers when you begin to talk about Christ. And, and see, we need to understand who we're ultimately working for. In whatever your job is, Whatever it is, ultimately, what is this text? Who are we serving? We're serving Christ, right? We're serving Christ. Serve with a good attitude, verse 7, as to the Lord and not to people. And not only that, but whatever good we are doing, God sees it. God sees it. Knowing that whatever good one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. The parallel passage to this, again, is in Colossians. It's Colossians 3, 22 through 24, which says, Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. Wow, that should fire us up. I mean, whatever our jobs are, that should fire us up to approach what we do with a great attitude 
and, and seeking to do it with excellence because ultimately we're doing it for Christ. Look at verse 9. He says, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way without threatening them because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Now, what that means is that if we are in, a, in the position of being in authority, we do not, as believers, we do not wield that authority in the workplace in a threatening, domineering, uh, brutal kind of a way. It, it means that we are, we are seeking to be servant leaders. If we're in a position of leadership, in the workplace, it means that we do that in a servant kind of a way, and we relate to the people who are under us in the workplace with a spirit of servanthood and a spirit of humility. Now, do you see how everything that we're talking about, everything, marriage, in the home, and parenting, in the workplace, all of this goes back to 5.18. Be filled with the Spirit. And one of the results of being filled with the Spirit is in verse 21, that we're submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. In other words, husbands and wives, parents and kids, people in the I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.